It's time for the Stock Car Show on the Performance Motorsports Network. Powered by the staff at Race Chaser Online. Your motorsports, your way, every day. And now, here's your host, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Stock Car Show. As presented to you by HMS Motorsport, the leaders in motorsport safety. Visit them on the web at hmsmotorsport.com. My name is Tom Baker, and I join you from the Race City USA PMN Studios in Mooresville, North Carolina, joined by uh, Jacob Seelman, the managing editor for Race Chaser Online. And tonight we pay tribute to a driver that many think of as short tracks intimidator. Teddy Christopher passed away last weekend in a plane crash en route to the NASCAR Wheelin Modified Tour event at uh, Riverhead Raceway in Long Island. And we are going to spend a good portion of this show not only talking about Teddy Christopher, but celebrating his life, celebrating his accomplishments, and welcoming numerous special guests to help us do that. So we hope that you will sit back and just reflect with us on the career of one of the greatest short track racers that this country and the sport have ever known. And with that, we bring in our first of our special guests this evening. Kyle Souza is joining us from the Race Chaser Skype line. Kyle, our New England correspondent, also does some work with NASCAR Home Tracks, writes for Area Auto Racing News. And Kyle, I know that you have had the opportunity over the years to uh, watch Teddy run, mostly in the modified division, but uh, just a huge loss this past weekend and I know that the community up in New England is still very much in shock and very much uh, in disbelief over this. Yeah, Tom, I think that'd be a little bit of an understatement, honestly. Uh, very, a very tough, oh, now five, six days uh, after the passing of Ted. And uh, I think what's been uh, something we know about the racing community already going into this, uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we obviously not expecting this to happen, but when, when things like this do happen uh, in racing, not only here in new England, but everywhere across the country, racing, the racing community really comes together and becomes one. And I think it's been uh, something we've seen from Ted uh, over multiple years that he's thrilled fans, not only up here in new England, but down South as well, uh, all across the Eastern seaboard. And uh, this is a shock to not only, uh, everybody there but us as well and uh, you know I'll share a quick story before I turn it towards uh, Jacob Seelman but uh, you know Saturday got the phone call while at Seekonk in the late afternoon uh, and I kind of found out before a lot of the others did at Seekonk on Saturday and a little bit of shock uh, once people started finding out you know there was a lot of questions uh, about what had happened uh, and I know there's been uh, some discussion about that over the last week, but uh, a very unfortunate situation and the loss of Ted, obviously uh, nothing that any of us was were thinking would happen uh, for many, many years. And uh, again, one of those things that will really bring the racing community together, especially for the next couple races in memory of Ted. Well, there's no question about that. And already uh, talk about Stafford retiring his number, Jacob, it's, 
it's just one of those times in the sport where it's a bag of mixed emotions because on the one hand, you are in shock and you mourn the loss of a driver who we all felt the presence of so deeply, some of us knowing him better than others. But on the other hand, it makes you realize that this sport at the end of the day is one giant family and we've really seen the outpouring of thoughts and emotions and all of that for Teddy from all walks of the racing community over uh, these past few days. Yeah, we have. And I just want to clarify on something that you said a moment ago, Tom, and good evening, everybody listening on PMN, that it's a, a little more than just talk now. Stafford going to be holding a ceremony on Friday night during their regular racing program to officially retire Ted Christopher's awesome. number from weekly modified competition at the Stafford Half Mile. Of course, Teddy, the all-time winningest driver in Stafford history, 131 career victories with 109 of those coming in the SK Modified Division, nine championships, the most recent of those in 2014. And Kyle, you mentioned it in your column. I know Tom alluded to mine at the top of the show when he was talking about TC and the parallel to Dale Earnhardt, the intimidator style that both of them shared. But you were the one that said it earlier this week that Ted really went out on top of his game and I agree with that 120%. He had six wins at Stafford in the SKs this year. He had won at Thompson just a little over a week ago. I mean, it's amazing to stop and think about uh, 99 career victories at Thompson, like we said, over 130 at Stafford. He just kept winning and winning and winning, and all the way up until the very end, he hadn't stopped. And it's like what Ted said to me. He raced to win, and that was it. Yeah, and I, you know, Jacob, we're talking about stories that uh, we've read over the last week, and stories you know we've written. And I wrote another one, you know, in the middle of the week about Teddy and the SK Modified title fight at Stafford. And you know, I talked with Chase Dowling uh, at length uh, Monday night, and then again on Tuesday. And Chase, you know, he told me Teddy was one of the toughest competitors when I when I got there every Friday night. I know I I, you know, I knew I had to beat Ted, and that I think says a lot about Christopher. And the way he raced and I, you know, we saw and we've seen all the way up to, of course, the Monster Energy Cup series down to to some of the short track ranks of the Wheel and All-American series. But over the last 10, 15 years, I think short track racing uh, has really seen and it's seen it for a while before that, too. But it's seen those guys that are just pure grassroots racers. And I think we've seen a great example of that uh, with a name like Ryan Priest this year. But Ted was really one of the guys that worked on the cars himself. Uh, you know, he had some help preparing the cars, but he prepared the setup, a lot of it himself as well. Uh, really was a mechanic and a driver all in one, which we don't see a lot now uh, up in the higher levels of the sport. But uh, to go back to what I was saying about Dowling, Dowling telling me that, you know, we butted heads a couple of times this year on the track. And, you know, I was there for one of the races that the two of them uh, dueled towards the finish and there was some beating and banging and know some bickering in victory lane when it was all set and done and you know chase said to me you know what ted just wanted to win just like any of us that strap a helmet on he wanted to go to victory lane and uh you know jacob before i turn it back to you talking about ted over the last couple weeks at stafford for those who don't know uh jacob mentioned he had six wins but over the last couple of weeks 
Uh, he had a, a pretty a pretty large argument uh, with Rowan Pennick after one of the races. He and Pennick uh, using their chrome horns over the final couple of laps. Teddy not coming out on top and approached Pennick in victory lane, and th- there were a few a few swings at each other. Uh, and you know, I'm not sure that any of them connected, but there were a few swings with each other, and that just tells me one thing: Teddy was still at you know almost 60 years old, extremely passionate about what he did behind the wheel. And uh, I think Dowling's comments can be echoed by all of those Stafford competitors. Every single one of them knew when they unloaded Friday, they were gunning to beat Ted Christopher. Because for so many years, Jacob, he was the guy at Stafford. Yeah, he was. And Tom, I think uh, Kyle references the kerfluffle that TC and Panic had. And for me, that says this, that even at almost 60 years old, Ted Christopher had the fire behind the wheel of an 18-year-old. He had all the passion in the world, and he just was doing what he loved, and he wasn't about to let anybody stand in his way or treat him in a way that he didn't necessarily agree with. Now, whether Ted's philosophy was always right is an argument for another day, but there's not many racers like that anymore. No. And I would argue there really needs to be, if you don't have that fire like what Ted had, you're just not going to rack up the kind of numbers that he did, quite frankly, because it was the numbers of a guy who refused to lose, much like what we had in an Earnhardt or a Pearson, you know, those hard-nosed, grit-faced guys that just were about the racing and about the sport. And I feel like, to me, that's what made Teddy so successful. Well, I agree with all of that. And, you know, in general... Racing up in the Northeast, and particularly in New England, is still very much old school in a lot of those ways. And Teddy was an old school racer, and he was the type of racer he was out there to win. He was going to give it 100%, whether the car was a great car or not so great a car on that night. He was going to get the most out of it. And if he thought that you did him wrong, you know, he was going to talk to you about it. And that's what he was doing with Rowan Panic and Victory Lane. And that very much is an old school kind of situation that uh, happened there. And it's uh, kind of interesting now in the context of what's happened to sort of reflect on that and, you know, use that as kind of a, a little bit of an excuse to perhaps crack a smile through all of this and oh, say, yeah. you know what, he went down swinging, you know, that he never lost the fire, not only for racing, but for winning. That's why he was there. And, you know, Jacob, it's a true testament to who Teddy was that all of his competitors that we hear, and you'll hear some of them as this show continues tonight, reflect on reflecting on their experiences with Teddy and their racing against him. Some of them would say, not sure we were best friends, but doggone. I respected the heck out of Teddy Christopher. He was the guy that I had to beat on a weekly basis, and I knew what I was getting every time I went out on that track with him. And you will hear that as this show goes on. We are going to step aside for the first time, but when we continue on tonight's Stock Car Show, we continue to remember the life, career, and legacy of Ted Christopher, called by many the King of New England. And we continue with our memoriam of T.C., As the Stock Car Show rolls on, you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. 
Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Here's an important message from Rad and this station. Hi, this is Bob Sheehan from Blues Traveler for Rad, recording artists against drunk driving. I like to party just as much as the next guy, maybe even more. But the one thing I won't do after I've had a few is get in the car and drive. Don't blow it. Always choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives and so should you. Automotive technicians and auto service trainees, how would you like to work at the beach and perform for one of the best car care centers in the nation? Lewis Meineke is now looking for skilled automotive technicians to join their award-winning team. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today, 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, located in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, offers a highly competitive compensation plan, great benefits, a flexible schedule, and did we mention that you're going to be working at the beach? Plus, there's a signing bonus for the right candidates. Technicians must be ASE certified and have a minimum of six years' experience. Beginners advance at your own pace in one of several entry-level positions. But whatever you do, don't wait. These jobs will go fast. Call Tim at 302-827-2054. That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center. Rev up your career. Hi, I'm Ben Rhodes, and you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. Welcome back to a very special edition of the Stock Car Show being brought to you from the Race City PMN Studios here in Mooresville, North Carolina, and presented by HMS Motorsport, the leaders in motorsport safety. Join them on the web at hmsmotorsport.com. Tom Baker, Jacob Seelman, and our first special guest of the evening, our New England correspondent for Race Chaser Online and a member of the NASCAR Home Track staff, uh, Kyle Suzo. And we are spending a good bit of this show tonight celebrating the life and career of Teddy Christopher. And guys, when we think about Teddy, I think most often we think about him in a modified, but Teddy was so much more than that. And I can start this by talking about the fact that I grew up and continued to be a big fan of the super modified division that runs in the Northeast. And I didn't have the privilege of seeing any of these races that I'm going to talk about here in a minute, but I wish I had Teddy Christopher got into a super modified three times and I think at least two of them were for uh, Paul Dunnigan, um, and maybe all three. He won three super modified races. I know at least one of them was a last to first drive. Jacob Teddy Christopher was not a modified driver. Teddy Christopher was a driver. 
Yes, he was, and it was actually a few more than three appearances because he drove Clyde Booth's car, the '61 Silver and That's Maroon right. Machine, he did. several right. occasions. Yes, and I he know did. At least one of those Isma wins was with for Clyde. Clyde. Yeah, Booth. that was probably the third one. Yes, and that was diverse. When I was looking up statistics and different odds and ends for our story on Race Chaser Online, Kyle, I learned for the first time that Teddy actually ran a Daytona prototype in the Rolex 24 a couple of times, did it in 2006, did it again in 2008. He drove things with fenders. He drove things without fenders. He drove TQ midgets. He drove modifieds. He won a NASCAR Wheel and All-American Series National Championship back in 2001 when it was still the weekly series. And he won what we'll talk about more in a couple of minutes, the Wheel and Tour Championship finally in 2008. But it just seemed like, as Tom said, no matter what he got in, he would find a way, even if he didn't win in it, to show that he could drive and he would be, at least in some vein for what he was driving, very successful at it. Yeah, Jacob, I think I think I echo those comments. And, you know, I've seen Ted race now for <clears throat> I was thinking about it this week, at least at least a decade uh, up here in New England, you know, since I've been starting to go to racetracks, probably a little bit more than that. But, you know, I remember visiting, uh, you know, back when Thompson used to run on Thursday nights and then Stafford would run on Friday and then Waterford would run on Saturday. Ted would run all three nights. Uh, I remember traveling there, you know, three, four times a year, all three nights to watch. And then even recently, you know, guys up here at Thompson for an event like the World Series or the Icebreaker uh, or, you know, either attending something at Thompson for the Wheel of Modified Tour or Stafford when the Wheel of Modified Tour was there. And I don't get a chance to go to those places weekly, but just being there, you knew when you walked in that you were about to see, first of all, a great SK Modified race in general. But second, you were going to witness one of the best uh, really to ever take the wheel. Uh, at both of those racetracks and even Waterford as well. Anywhere that Ted went, he was a contender. Uh, and if he wasn't a contender, he didn't want to be in the car. I think that was something else about Ted. He wasn't out there to run in the back of the pack. He wanted to win uh, in anything he sat in. And obviously all racers do. But, you know, Ted Ted wasn't about running 15th. If he couldn't get, uh, you know, if he had a 12th place car, he was going to make it a ninth or 10th place car. Uh, as quickly as possible. He was not about to run around in the back of the pack. And, you know, we've looked at Ted now from behind the wheel uh, this week, you know, on Race Chaser Online. We've heard uh, so many different people talk about Ted off the track as well, his family, uh, his friends, you know, people that uh, he spent his time with. And I'll share a quick story. I talked with Ariola Racing News columnist Brian Danko uh, just a couple days after his passing, who was who grew up with Ted ever since they were four, five, six years old uh, in Connecticut. And Brian said to me, you know what? I spent a lot of time at Ted's garage. And the one that he, even Brian said to me, the one thing about Ted was he was a perfectionist. Everything on that car needed to be checked three, four, five times before he rolled on the racetrack. And everything he did, he wanted to win. And I think uh, a lot of people have echoed those comments over the last couple of years. I know both of you have had the chance to talk to him uh, as a reporter yep. as well. And you know, I, I wrote in my column earlier this week, my first opportunity to talk to Ted was down in New Jersey for an indoor auto race. And I'll be honest with you, the first time I walked up to him, I was a little nervous walking up to Ted Christopher. You know, he's and I think uh, somebody and I, I wrote in my column this week, too. He was really the Dale senior of New England and having the opportunity to talk to him. 
as as a reporter. And you know, one of our um, fellow journalists up here in New England wrote wrote best this week that Ted was a reporter's dream to cover. He told things exactly <laughs> how he wanted to tell them, whether you liked it or not. And a lot of his statements over the last couple of years were filled with a lot of words that I can't I can't say on air. And you know what? That's because Ted had no filter. He spit things out exactly how they were in his mind. And instead of filtering them, you know, and I, I don't accuse drivers of filtering, but uh, some think twice before they say things. And, and Ted uh, never did, Tom. <laughs> no, he never did. Jacob, it kind of uh, brings up an old phrase that I've heard oft times describe various people in my life if he's got something to say he's already said it yeah (laughs) (laughs) ain't that the truth and as we look at how all of this went down kyle the shining moment for teddy and the thing i think we're all going to look back on is the story of that 2008 season the championship kyle that he waited on and waited on and waited on and waited on a little bit more, but it all finally came together, and it was kind of appropriate in a way. When you look back three years earlier in 2005, Ted was in contention for that championship and lost it to Tony Hirschman. Ted overhauls Tony's son, Matt, for the title in 08, and that was the one where at the end of it, it was kind of like the 98 Daytona 500 when Dale finally won it. He may not have been everybody's favorite guy, but the respect was such that when he finally accomplished that last checkbox, I don't think there was anybody that could say they were disappointed that Ted Christopher had that championship because it completed a legacy that I would argue is one of few in racing period that I would put in the category of just about unmatched. I think, that, again, I you know we're saying understatements, but I think Teddy's legacy in racing and statistics, you know, we we had a chance. I know I know you had a chance this week, Jacob, to look at the statistics that he's put together over the last couple of years. You know, just to throw some out, 42 career wheel and modified tour wins, over 100 wins in the SK modifieds at Stafford, uh, almost, I believe it's 131 overall at Stafford in, at the track. Uh, he came... One short of winning 100 at Thompson, 99 career victories, Tom, uh, at the 5 eighths mile Thompson High Banks. He picked up his last just one Sunday before his passing. So five, six days before he passed, he was in victory lane. And, uh, you know, I've been reading social media. And again, sometimes social media can be a detriment to racing. Uh, I definitely believe that with the way social media works. But I think in times like this, for everybody to share their stories of Ted Christopher, I've read so many this week from guys like Doug Kobe, from guys like Eric Goodale, Justin Bonsignor, and then the behind the scenes uh, folks in racing as well, like Sean Houlihan, who was on the starter stand waving the double checkered flag for Teddy at Thompson, who put up this week that, you know, we had a laughing conversation in Victory Lane, and he said, I guess I took that conversation for granted because it would be the last time that the two of them talked. I mean, so many people have memories of Ted Christopher. And, uh, you know, turning back to Brian Danko, who told me earlier this week, for the modified community in New England, this is very similar to what happened when Richie Evans passed away uh, many years ago. Yeah, that's really an apt 
comparison, I think, and I can still remember exactly where I was when I heard that news as well. I heard it on uh, a local news TV newscast on the night that it happened with Richie and, and they announced that he had passed away in a crash at Martinsville. And I can remember calling my brother-in-law who was a, a big time Richie fan and knew Richie pretty well and giving him the news. And I just remember the silence on the other end of the phone that it was just unbelievable. And you can't process that. And I think this is very much the same. Nobody, obviously, you're never expecting it, but certainly in this type of a situation and you're on your way to a race, um, but that's part of life. And I think that it took us a couple of days to even be able to breathe enough to start to talk about it. And in many cases, you're still seeing drivers and friends and loved ones of Teddy that are just now, Jacob, starting to be able to open up and offer their their thoughts in a you know, in an in an overt public kind of manner. Yeah. And it's been coming in. I mean Justin Bonsignor just Wednesday was finally able to offer his thoughts on Ted's passing and I know for some Doug Kobe included, it took several days before they were able to do that. And really quickly, I just, uh, I, I sit here and think about this, Tom. Teddy was a racer's racer. That's he the was. most yep. apt description I've heard. And I never want to say fitting in a time like this, but I think maybe apt is the right word. It's apt that Teddy was on his way to Riverhead to race when this happened the way it did. That, to me, that's Teddy's legacy, is that in his mind, it was about what was happening on the track, and in equal part, it was about the next one. You know, Teddy was always thinking when one one race was over, Where's the next one? Where's right. the next thing for me to conquer? And for me, that's one of the biggest things about Ted's legacy that will shine true in light of all this. Yeah, I agree 100%. And uh, we are going to continue throughout this program tonight. You are going to be hearing from several of Teddy's competitors and those in the sport who had the opportunity to cover Teddy from a media side and know Teddy. We continue to celebrate the life and career of Teddy Christopher. But first, in our next segment, we're going to just set that aside for a moment and talk about the tour race that was at Riverhead and kind of the perspective that that brings into this whole situation as we continue with the Stock Car Show presented by HMS Motorsport on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. Do you love the sound of high-revving motors and the smell of burning rubber? Do you want to get your car sideways right at the ragged edge of control? If you've always wanted to try drifting or learn to improve your drifting skills, Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier motorsports facility, has the expert instructors and the specialized track to teach you how to drift and the skills necessary to drift competitively. From skid pad to open sessions, Summit Point Motorsports Park has the safe and open environment that allows drifters of all skill levels 
new to intermediate to get sideways and smoking. With a focus on safety and the skill set necessary to drift competitively, Summit Point Motorsports Park's Drift Nirvana is just the thing for you. Call for your reservation today, 304-725-8444. Or for more information, go online, summitpoint-raceway.com, or you can email them at office at bsrinc.com. Drift Nirvana, getting you sideways the right way. HMS Motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SECA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America. Featuring world-renowned brands like Stilo Helmets, Schroep Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, Orca Driver Gear, Lifeline Fire Systems, and even Racecom Radio Kits, HMS representatives are knowledgeable and focused on only one thing making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs. Don't settle for a second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop in to HMS Motorsport. Visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on Facebook and tell them the folks from PMN Radio sent you. What an awesome game. What's up with your car? I don't know. It won't start. How are we getting home? Chill. My parents signed me up for the roadside assistance from Lewis Meineke. It was free with my oil change. They'll come and get the car started or get us home and tow the car to the shop. Good to know. With my driving, my parents never know what to expect. When you join the Meineke Car Care Club with a $35 preferred service, you get four free months of roadside assistance, including tire change, battery jump, lockout service, towing, and more. Contact Lewis Meineke, located on Route 1, or call 827-2054. When do you think of a plumber? Like most people, even if it's an emergency, you can be confident about who will arrive to help you. For quality and reliability, count on someone you can trust. Call on the plumbing services of Hague Quality Water of Maryland. Plumbing doesn't have to be an emergency. We handle all kinds of preventative maintenance, too. Hague Quality Water of Maryland is family-owned here in Annapolis since 1993. For a refreshing choice, call us at 888-84-WATER or visit us online. COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, is a lung disease that robs people of their ability to breathe. As many as 24 million Americans suffer from COPD, also known as chronic bronchitis or emphysema, and half of them don't know they have the disease. If you or someone you love is over 35 and has smoked more than 100 cigarettes in their lifetime, visit driveforcopd.org and take the screener, then take that to your doctor. I'm Jeff Stoltz, and I drive for COPD. Hi, I'm Cody Coughlin, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Welcome back to a special edition of the Stock Car Show as we spend much of this show celebrating the life and the career of driver Teddy Christopher, who passed away as a result of a plane crash on his way to a race this past weekend at uh, Riverhead Raceway in Long Island, Tom Baker, Jacob Seelman, and Kyle Susan. Kyle, as we kind of turn our attention for a few moments away from all that we've discussed up to now and focus on the race that Teddy was on his way to compete in, this was a race that a lot of us thought was going to be very pivotal in the championship race for the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour 
you had a number of drivers in contention for the title, and this ended up being a race that, in fact, is very pivotal in uh, deciding who kind of goes into the last couple rounds of the season with an opportunity to win the NASCAR championship. Yeah, we knew, as you mentioned, going in that this was going to be one of those races that we would look at when the championship uh, came to a close at Thompson, and I think it definitely will be. Timmy Salamito rolled into Riverhead in June, won the pole, and won the race. He does the same exact thing uh, this past weekend at the quarter-mile bull ring behind the wheel of the Star at Tools machine. Fourth win of the year for Salamito, and it keeps him in the hunt in the Wheel of Modified Tour championship chase. Uh, quick showcase of what those points look like leaving Riverhead. Ryan Priest holds the lead. He's got a six-point lead over Doug Kobe, and it's nine points to Timmy Salamito. So the top three separated by nine points. I know it's no secret, Tom, that Ryan Priest is not going to be racing this coming weekend at New Hampshire. Right. John McKennedy will pilot his number six instead so Priest can run the Xfinity Series race. So, you know, earlier this week I put up the news and notes for the tour race uh, on NASCARHomeTracks.com, and the, the focus of those news and notes this week was pretty simple. Kobe and Salamito are starting an intense battle for this championship right at the Magic Mile up in New Hampshire. They're both separated by three points, and if you take Priest out of the equation, you know, these two are going to be the ones to fight for the 2017 title. Yeah, I agree totally, and I think we talked about the fact that we thought a couple of weeks ago that it may end up coming down to these two. Now, when it comes to the owner's championship, Jake, obviously the six car is still very much in control of that, and surely with John McKennedy, if John can even have just a good solid top five or top seven run at Loudon, you would think that that's still going to remain in good shape for them. But in terms of the driver's championship, I think this is down to Salamito versus Colby. And how ironic, the driver who started the season as the hot hand, Timmy Salamito, and who controlled it for a little while because Colby and his team faltered just a bit out of the gate. Now the two of them at the end of the year, here we go, clash of the Titans. Colby's fought his way all the way back. Salamito's had a bit of bad luck over the last four races or so. And now you've got a classic championship battle right to the wire. And we started at Loudon, a track that's very neutral for the Modifieds, but also a track where they put on arguably the best show of the entire weekend every time they race there. And now you add the pressure of this championship race and nobody can afford to make a mistake here because that can bite you big time. That's correct. And we've seen Loudon play a pivotal role in this NASCAR Wheel of Modified Tour championship in the past, yep. haven't we, Kyle? When Doug Kobe has done what, in his own words, Doug Kobe had to do to win a championship in years prior. He's bumped people out of the way unabashed to win the championship. Ryan Priest has done the same thing before. I mean, this is, though it's a draft track and it's kind of a Daytona-style race, these guys still do get very, I'll call it animated and very aggressive in the closing stages if they know they have to. And I have a feeling we may just see that again. 
Well, Jacob, I agree. This is definitely one of those tracks that's a wild card uh, all season. I think the three wild cards over the course of the season uh, are the August stop at Bristol, which we've already passed, the July stop at New Hampshire, obviously we've already passed that, and then this race at New Hampshire. These two battles at New Hampshire Motor Speedway are obviously two of the toughest for these drivers to make it through. Uh, you know, I talk about the news and notes. I also made a point this week that the car count for this race is going to be a little bit higher than we have seen over the last couple of races. We're up to 30 cars on the entry list wow. for Saturday's FW Web 100. And Tom Salamito in seven starts only has one top 10 finish. If he finishes outside the top 10 and Doug Kobe runs well, he's basically handing Doug Kobe the championship. Salamito's luck at New Hampshire is going to have to turn around and he's got to get to the end. No matter if he finishes sixth, seventh, he's got to get to the end. Something he struggled to do at New Hampshire uh, over the past couple of years. And nothing of his doing, I don't think. I don't think that these things have been something that Salamito did that caused it. You know, especially back in July, he and Kobe actually got together and Salamito went in the outside wall off turn four. So he's got to get to the end if he wants to have a shot going for the final two races. We're going to talk to Timmy later in the show, Kyle, but I wanted to make mention of this story really quickly, and Doug Kobe actually brought it up in his Facebook post talking about Ted Christopher earlier in the week, Kyle, about how Doug wanted so badly to win this race, a Connecticut car winning on Long Island for the king of Connecticut, as Ted was called by so many, and Doug got passed by Timmy Salamito in the final laps of that race at Riverhead, and Doug was frustrated at first because he wanted to win so badly. And then he got back to the pit area and glanced across, <laughs> and it was in that moment that Doug said he realized why this happened the way it happened, because Timmy Salamito was parked in holler stall number 13, Ted's famed number at Stafford and in much of his SK Modified career. Kind of fitting when you stop and think about it and when you stop and think about the fact that that number going to be retired Friday night at Stafford. Yeah, and that's something that uh, I didn't know that story. So that's uh, something, obviously, that uh, you guys listening out there, I think that really puts things in perspective for Doug. And, uh, you know, he he had a chance at winning that race, Jacob. Passed with four to go, as you mentioned uh, coming right down to the end there. And Doug's uh, not been a winning car at every race this year, you know, especially early in the year they struggled. But I think I think something I spoke with him about at Seekonk uh, was that the races that they can pit, sometimes they're a little bit behind the eight ball because they're not 100% sure on what adjustment to make. And if they make the wrong adjustment, well, they've got no chance. But these 200-lap races where they cannot pit, Tom are something that Doug and his team really like because they know they have a balanced car for the long run. And sometimes some of the other teams are guessing, whereas they're looking back at their notes and saying, you know, over the long run, this car is going to get tight. We need to free it up a little bit. Yeah, I think that that definitely is the case. And it plays right into Doug's hands. A couple of things looking at uh, your news and notes that kind of jump out at me. First of all, uh, interesting to see that Woody Pitcat will drive the number 82 that Ted Christopher has been racing uh, for much of the season this year on the tour 
giving up his number 52 to drive for Watts. And then second of all, I also find it interesting to note that in the first 13 races of this season, only two drivers have been able to visit victory lane more than once. And they are Priest with five wins and Salamito with four. I think that says a little bit of something about how competitive the tour is and why we've ended up going down to the wire here still with a handful of guys up until now fighting for the championship races really has been a very, very even-handed season on the tour. Even though Priest has won so much and Salamigo's won so much, there have been so many other drivers who've gotten to victory lane and it's been so competitive throughout and everything's been kind of up and down and changing. Interesting stuff there. Yeah, and I think Doug uh, Doug actually won six or seven races last year, whereas Priest has won five this year and Salamito four. Uh, so, and, you know, Bobby Santos hasn't been running on the tour for a bit, Tom, and he's going to return this weekend at Loudoun. He won uh, that race in July. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys rolling into New Hampshire that definitely have a shot at winning the race. Uh, there's a couple there that really come out to me. I'm interested to see what John McKennedy does uh, in Priest's number six. And, uh, of course, Pitcat in the 82, as you mentioned, in honor of Ted Christopher Pitcat saying earlier this week, you know what, I hope they keep Teddy's name on the roof. I want to do this for Ted uh, and his number 52 team, the Gunsmoke Stebbins Racing uh, Organization that he had been planning to drive for, opening him up to go do that. So that's a cool thing, and uh, looking forward to seeing what New Hampshire has to offer this weekend for all of the Wheel Modified Tour competitors, and uh, especially, of course, there'll be a, a great tribute to Ted before uh, and during the race. So we'll keep monitor on that as well, and looking forward to see what the tour offers to the New England fans this weekend. Well, Kyle, we thank you for spending a little extra time with us as we open tonight's show celebrating the life and the career of Ted Christopher. We wish you the best in your weekend coverage of uh, the Loudon race and also uh, at Seekonk. And we will look forward to having you on next week's show. That is Kyle Souza. We step aside when we come back. We continue to celebrate the life and career of Teddy Christopher. More special guests to come in and join us in this conversation. Stick around, please, and enjoy this with us as we continue the Stock Car Show presented by HMS Motorsport on the Performance Motorsports Network. Okay, so Sarah, I'm dropping you off at Emily's? Yep. And Josh, you're going to? Soccer, Dad. Soccer practice. Right. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know when I pick you both up, I'll be wearing my short shorts. What? No! Yep. And my dorky dad hat, and I'm going to do my dad dance for all your friends. They'll love it. Seriously? Why? Because I like my short shorts. Of course, I could be talked out of it if you guys would just buckle up your seatbelts without giving me a hard time. It's important to get your kids to buckle up for safety, no matter what it takes. And sometimes, all it takes is your parental powers of persuasion. Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled. Good choice. I'll just have to do my dad dance at dinner time. What, what? No! Do what you have to to make sure your kids are wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less, 
BSR instructors at Summit Point Motorsports Park in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, will teach your son or daughter how to respond instantly and positively to unexpected situations on the road. BSR's specialized accident avoidance training teaches swerve to avoid maneuvers at highway speed, ocular driving, which focuses driving attention on ways to avoid accidents, vehicle dynamics and feedback, skid control, and skid recovery, threshold braking on straights and progressive braking on curves, and off-road recovery techniques. This is stuff driver's ed simply doesn't teach. So call BSR today, 304-725-8444. Give your kid the skill set needed to drive safely and responsibly on the highway. That's 304-725-8444. This is a test to find out if you know it all when it comes to children. Name one of the leading killers of U.S. children age 1 to 13. What's the best way to protect children in a car crash? At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat? Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Noah Gregson, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show. Welcome back to a very special edition of the Stock Car Show, presented by HMS Motorsport, the leaders in motorsports safety. Visit them on the web at hmsmotorsport.com. Tom Baker and Jacob Seelman with you from the Race City USA PMN Studios in Mooresville, North Carolina. And as we continue tonight to celebrate the life and the career of Ted Christopher, we are now joined by one of my favorite all-time motorsports media folk and uh, a well-known author, uh, Bones Bosher. And Bones, first of all, welcome back to the show. It is always great to talk with you again. It is sad, however, uh, that it is under such a circumstance. Yeah, I wish it was under better conditions, but uh, it's always great to be with you guys. Well, it's uh, it's great to have you, and I'm sure that you've got a lot to say about Teddy. Of course, uh, being in the New England area for as long as you were, um, I know that you knew him well, and uh, I'm just going to let you kind of open with some thoughts of your own on what happened this past weekend and kind of just take this wherever you want to go with it. Well, obviously a tragic deal, and the, the saddest thing to me is that, you know, Teddy was at a point in his life where I think he was finally racing just for fun. I mean, he, he still raced uh, extremely hard. I, I'm, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because I don't know what your previous guests have said, but as we know, he was a, a heck of a hard charger. Um, but I think he was at the point now where, you know, whatever came his way uh, was going to be icing on the cake. You know, he didn't have a tour ride uh, at, the, at the start of the season, and that was okay with him. You know, he was going to run more weekly stuff. Um, I think he just, you know, again, was, was sort of at the point where uh, he was racing for fun. I mean, he was 59 years old. He'd done what he wanted to do. Uh, he was still ultra-competitive, but I don't think it was a, um, uh, you know, uh, an all-or-nothing uh, exercise for him as it, as it might have been. 20 years ago when you're you know when you're young and hungry and you have a point to prove he just sure. uh he was just at that point in his life where this is what was fun for him and it's uh beyond ironic that that you, that you go out you know chasing 
uh, what was your what was your fun activity? Yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's really hard to believe, honestly, and hard to process. And when you think about Teddy, one of the points that we were discussing with our previous guest was Kyle Suzar, New England correspondent was the fact that Teddy not only made his mark in the modified division and just was such a legend in that class, but so many other divisions as well. I mean, you know, super modifieds, prototype cars, whatever it was, Teddy would drive it and he would drive it to the front and win. Well, I mean, you know, starting last in a super modified race at Thompson and winning with one first time he ever drove one. Uh, you know, I can think of one other example where that happened in, in 1975. Yep. Uh, at the same yep. racetrack, Richie Evans did the exact Absolutely. Same thing. That's another parallel you know, we hadn't thought about, yeah. Yeah, and the crazy thing there is, I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, Richie was obviously a super accomplished guy, but that's one of the things you point to as, as being uh, an example of just how naturally gifted the guy was. Yeah. Well, if that was true in his case, and it's obviously true in Teddy's, I mean, he did fantastic things in midgets when he drove them, did great things, you know, won races in pro stock late models, won uh, what was in the Bush North or Bush East uh, series, you know, it's uh, K&N series now, um, you know, with, with or without fenders, uh, open cockpit cars, stock cars, I mean, anything he got in, he made go fast, you know, I mean, even... Uh, you know, the little taste he got at uh, at cup racing. I mean, you know, there's no doubt that if the guy got into good equipment at the right time uh, and with the right team that he could have made some some serious noise there, too. I think he was just one of those uh, naturally gifted people uh, that could drive anything. You know, he wasn't a, a great, uh, you know, we've all seen these guys in different divisions that are kind of a combination of chassis man and driver. Uh, you know, that wasn't Teddy. He must have had pretty good feedback because obviously always able to, to work with his mechanics to get the cars to go fast. But I think the biggest asset that, that he brought to a team was just that he was uh, naturally gifted and, and uh, you know, just extremely fast uh, behind the wheel. Bones, when I was writing a column for Race Chaser Online earlier this week, I really stopped to think about uh, what you mentioned a minute ago, some of the parallels between Ted and between Richie from driving styles to, you know, just a lot of different things, how versatile they were. And to me, I don't know if you would agree, but this, this for me feels a lot the same as what I know uh, a lot of the people I've talked to have said they felt when Richie Evans passed away, just that gaping hole where you had one driver who did so much and left such an impact on the racing community at large that all of a sudden with them not to be here it's it's hard to maybe see the path forward in some extents would you agree with that in a way just from the impact that both of them had yeah for sure and it was it was reinforced for me because i had to go back to connecticut on uh i live in indianapolis now but i had to travel home to connecticut on sunday uh just uh for a uh, an appointment i had out there uh, and that put me in the next town uh, over from where Teddy lived. And, and uh, I ended up running into not only people that worked with him, and I spent some time with, with Ted's brother and just some of the younger uh, racing people in the area. And, and it, what really starts to drive that home is that for the younger guys, you know, if you're, let's say, a uh, racer, Doug Kobe's age, and I can't remember how Doug, how old uh, Doug is, but you know, let's say mid-30s or, you know, 32 or something. If you're his age or younger, 
you've kind of grown up with Teddy yeah. as as the guy on top, and, and that's the parallel to draw with with Richie. I mean, it's sometimes hard for me maybe to look at it or somebody my age to look at it because Teddy and I are pretty close to the same age. And you know, when you see a guy come in and uh, as a young guy and make the rookie mistakes, uh, you know, you don't always put him on that level that that the younger people see him on. You know, but you know, again, they've seen him do nothing but win, and, and uh, it's got to be a shock. I mean, I know, like, to Keith Rocco and Jeff Rocco, those those two, you know, Keith obviously is a an incredibly accomplished young racer himself sure. with NASCAR National Championships and regional championships. You know, he grew up working on Ted's pit crew, uh, as his brother Jeff did, and, and uh, I know for those guys it's got to be devastating because, you know, you, again, for them, uh, he was the guy on top, the guy they aimed for. And I, I think everybody in the SK division, and even a lot of the younger guys on the on the Wayland uh, Modified Tour, uh, you know, if you're again, if you're younger than say 35 or 32, somewhere in there, uh, you've grown up watching Teddy win one, two, three races a weekend. Uh, and again, to have that have that guy suddenly out of the picture. Um, you know, quickly and suddenly, just as it happened uh, in Richie's case, you know, not a, not an illness or losing somebody in an advanced age, just, you know, having them tragically killed. It's, it's, it's got to feel exactly the same to, to those people as it did for us. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And we're actually going to be talking with uh, Timmy Salamito and, and Doug Kobe uh, as this show goes on. And I understand exactly what you're saying. I mean, I can remember even at Oswego when Jimmy Champagne was killed. And I think that was, you know, Jimmy was my hero growing up. Now I wasn't a racer, but I think again, the, the sudden loss and yet, you know, Jimmy was such an icon as was Richie, as was Teddy. And absolutely. It, it takes a while to kind of figure out what normal is now. We've made the point that in many ways, Teddy was Short Track's version of the Intimidator. And so, yeah. again, you can even make some parallels there that somebody like Doug Kobe grew up watching him win, then became a competitor and had to deal with Ted in a whole different way. But yet there's sort of that competitor and then there's still, you know, he's Teddy and now he's gone. Yeah, he was a big personality. I mean, yes. You know, with Evans, you know, Richie was very much a leader uh, of that division. He's, a, you know, people went to him for technical advice, yep. for driving advice. Uh, Jimmy Champagne was sort of the same way in the Supers as far as the guy that set the example uh, technically. Uh, I know he mentored a lot of guys. In Absolutely. Like Laughlin and yep. Doug Evron. Uh, Teddy, he didn't necessarily have so much of that, but he was – the joker, the wise guy, you know, always cutting up in the pits, uh, sometimes sarcastic uh, <laughs> to an extreme level. You know, he'd rub you the wrong way at times. Uh, I think probably if you were a younger driver, he, you know, he wasn't above uh, sometimes taunting or, you know, pointing out somebody's faults in, sure. in a funny way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you miss that, too. I mean, that's that's what made him... Uh, uh, such a big character in that uh, uh, in that area, you know, in, in New England and in the greater Northeast. And I think, uh, you know, anytime you lose a guy who's more than just a driver, you know, who's uh, who, who adds something to, to a series or to an area in a different way, whether, whether you know, through being a mentor or through being just a larger than life character. Uh, yeah, obviously, you're going to you're going to miss that a ton. And 
it'd be interesting to know what 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 people like Doug uh, Kobe would say. And um, you know, again, it's just you know for those guys, it's it's got to. I I feel for all of them because I remember very specifically where I was when I heard about Jimmy Champagne. Yep. I wasn't at Oswego, but remember I was vividly uh, what happened, and I remember. Uh, everything about the day that that uh, Richie was killed, yeah. and I'm sure that that to, to some of these people, it's it's going to be the same way. I mean, even though Teddy was my age and a guy I've known as a as a as a friend and uh, not just as somebody I covered, but you know, I've known pretty well for 35 or 40 years. You know, it was uh, definitely a thud. You know, you don't. Uh, I don't know if you ever reach an age where you're beyond that stuff, but sure. you, but it just it, it, it's almost a surprise how big a shock it was and and i can't imagine what it is for those people who uh who were around watching him as they developed their own careers it's you know again i really feel for those guys well bones uh we're up against a break but what we'd like to ask you to do is hang on with us we'll uh, come back here in the next segment with you and uh, i'm sure you've got some stories and memories that we can dive into for a moment so uh, if you'd be willing to hang on we'll come back here after this break and uh, chat a little bit more about teddy sounds good we're going to step aside more with bones bosher on the life and career of ted christopher when we return with the second half of tonight's very special stock car show you're listening to pmn the performance motorsports network You own a performance car, and you know how to drive, but you want to learn real performance driving. Well, Bunky, get that car off the street and onto the track. Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier road racing facility, located just over an hour from D.C. in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, is the place to go. And you'll find that Friday at the track is going to give you what you need. For less than a monthly car payment, you can attend this regularly scheduled one-day instructional event in your street car on one of Summit Point's three world-class road racing circuits. You'll receive classroom instruction, skid pad instruction in their cars, including front and rear skid control, and four 20-minute in-your-car instructional sessions from a professional instructor. Have fun, go fast, and really learn how to drive. Call 304-725-8444 for class schedules and details. That's 304-725-8444. Friday at the track at Summit Point Motorsports Park. Every 30 minutes, another innocent person is killed due to a drunk driver. My best friend. My brother. My poor grandchild. My sister. My father. My husband. My mom. (laughs) My mommy. Stop these tragedies before they happen. Don't drink and drive. Hi, I'm Reed Sorensen. Racing has been a part of me and my family for as long as I can remember. I had to make tough choices early on to get to the top. It took hard work and dedication. But it's those tough choices that helped me prepare for challenges I would face as a cup driver. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Air Force. Hi, I'm Timmy Salamito, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show. Welcome back 
to a very special edition of the Stock Car Show here on Performance Motorsports Network. Tom Baker and Jacob Seelman with you, and we are celebrating the life and career of Ted Christopher on this evening's show, and you heard Timmy Salamito bring us back in from the break. He will be joining us here very shortly to talk about uh, Teddy and also to talk about his win at Riverhead Raceway over the weekend. And uh, we've got Bones Bosher continuing to talk with us here on the program. And Bones, I know you've probably got a million and one stories and anecdotes about Teddy. I'm hoping you thought of a couple that you can share with us here as we uh, continue on with our tribute tonight. Yeah, I do. And they're not necessarily specific stories as much as they are um, just uh, characteristics that, that I always thought were rather unique in Ted. Uh, you know, he was, he had an extreme willingness to play the villain, which uh, always impressed me. I <laughs> yes, mean, you know, he a did. Lot of guys that, <laughs> a lot of guys become villains in this sport, and villains help sell tickets. Um, but I've known a lot of racers over the years who almost bristled at having to play that role. Uh, you know, I know Jeff Budine was in it for in that role for a long time when he raced modifieds and I never got the sense that Jeff was totally comfortable with it. No. Where uh Teddy Christopher would you know, he would uh almost egg the crowd on, you know, he'd stand up on the nerf bar and wave to the crowd and put his hand up to his ears if he wanted them to boo a little louder. Uh, <laughs> that was true during pre-race introductions it was true after a race if he won um and 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 that was i, I thought it was pretty neat because i don't i don't imagine that that he liked it more than anybody would really like it but he reached a point uh in his maturity level where he realized that hey that's the way they felt he wasn't going to change their minds and he was comfortable enough with himself uh not to let it bother him it didn't it didn't necessarily define uh who he was in his own mind but i think he was okay if if, the, if that guy who paid, you know, fifteen or twenty dollars or thirty dollars, whatever it was, for a ticket, uh, wanted to sit up there and boo him, that was fine with Teddy. And 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 again, that's something you don't see with everybody. Uh, and then the other thing was just his uh, his sheer love to race. Um, it would, you know, a lot of times you have a ride uh, in a specific series or, or in a specific tour, uh, and and your car owner might not want to go run every little, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday night open competition sure. race or the North-South shootout at the end of the year or the Turkey Derby at Wall Stadium on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, so Teddy was always the first one to uh, find rides for those races if uh, if his own, you know, normal regular car owner didn't want to go. And because of that, I mean, he would end up uh, often supplying an engine, you know, to go to New Smyrna with, a, with a, maybe a low-dollar car owner or uh, if the guy needed a spare rear end to go race, Teddy would yank one out of his own, you know, regular ride to go run that. Uh, you know, he spent a lot of his own money uh, helping low-dollar car owners show up at those races just so he could drive their cars. And, I mean, there's, you know, in this day and age, um, racing, as we know, is not inexpensive. And he just, he he was always willing to make it happen if he had to, um, you know, provide some of his own equipment or help find sponsorship or maybe even be the sponsor himself. He was happy to do that. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, that he didn't do that with, uh, you know, ultimately with a paycheck in mind. It was just the idea of going down and getting that trophy. And I know he loved going to New Smyrna every February. He loved races like the North South shootout, the, the Turkey Derby at wall, you know, just these, um, 
hate to, I don't mean this in a bad way, but these oddball races where you never knew who you were going to run against. I, I think that was almost more fun, more fun for him. Sure. Uh, you know, showing up and racing, racing against an unknown cast from all over the map, uh, than maybe it was to go to Stafford or Waterford or Thompson every, every Friday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, and race against the same guys, even though he loved that too. I, I just think he liked the challenge of, uh, taking on new things. And, and again, if that meant he had to bring an engine to a, to a car owner to do that, he was, he was more than willing to make that happen. And that's pretty impressive that a guy would want to race that badly, you know, because again, in this day and age, that's, that's not cheap. So it spoke a lot for his, uh, drive and his desire. I always thought. Now bones, I've thought it was interesting this season. And you mentioned Teddy's weekly race in, uh, Stafford Thompson, a little bit ago for me and I think in a way Teddy might have felt it too especially the last couple of months it felt like this year there was kind of a changing of the guard you had Rowan Pennock who he and Teddy got into it a couple of times this year you had Chase Dowling who's actually leading the points at Stafford and was giving Teddy week in and week out everything that he could muster but you know this was still Ted Christopher, the one who wanted to show all these young kids, as he called them when I talked to him at Bristol, that he could still do it even at 59 years old and that he wasn't just going to roll over and play dead for anybody. That w- that refuse to lose mentality was still there just as if he were 18 or 20. Yeah, it was interesting. A couple of seasons ago, I was in Connecticut uh, or in New England for a, a, a period of time and I went to a Friday night race at Stafford, and uh, Teddy had been having a bad year. I knew that just from a distance, you know, reading the results online or in the in the papers or whatever. Um, knew he hadn't been running very well, and on this particular night, it happened to be his, his birthday, as a matter of fact, because I remember they were celebrating. Uh, he and his bro- twin brother Mike were having a party in the pits. But anyway, um, he ended up starting the feature on the pole at Stafford. And as I went up and sat in the pit stands, I remember thinking, well, this is, this might be good for Teddy because it should be a walk away, but, but it's not going to be very fun to watch because you figured, you know, start a guy like that on the pole and he's just going to drive away. Well, you know, I ended up seeing quite vividly that for whatever reason, he, he was just having a horrible year because he ended up, I think he probably ended up third or fourth, which for a guy like that to drop from the pole to third or fourth while the fast guys come from 15th up to the, up to the lead. Uh, you know, was pretty unusual. And I remember leaving the track that night thinking, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, I know he's still fast, but he's at an age where inevitably um, you start to make that turn. Guys slow down a little bit, and you never know when that's going to happen. It might happen at 50, um, and it might happen at 55, might happen at 45. And that night, uh, again, when I left, I, I, I thought to myself that, you know, maybe we had seen that happen. Maybe it had happened while we weren't really looking. Uh, that he had started to slow down. Well, he proved me wrong because last year, you know, between just being in better cars and in different situations, last year and this year he's been winning again. And even though, yeah, there is a hungry pack of guys coming up, uh, you know, Rowan Pennick, uh, Keith Rocco, guys like that that are really gifted in their own right, uh, Teddy was still winning enough races and, and still being consistently fast enough to be the NASCAR a regional champ this year. I mean, he locked it up this past weekend or, you know, on, on his last, his last ever start, his last, uh, start at Stafford on Friday night, locked it up. So, I mean, 
uh, yeah, you know, you, you you think that uh, at 59, maybe he wasn't as fast as he was at 29 or 39, but obviously he was still plenty fast. And, and I was happy that, uh, that that he did come back strong after having seen him struggle like that because, you know, uh, I think we, we we watch these guys for so many years and it's almost sad when inevitably they all hit that age where they start slowing down a little bit. It's no different than, a you know, an NFL quarterback starting to throw a few more uh, interceptions and maybe getting sacked more than he used to because he doesn't have the speed. I mean, that's just Mother Nature uh, telling you it's time. But, uh, you know, Teddy proved Mother Nature, or at least he held Mother Nature off longer longer than most people do because to be winning races and championships at 59 uh, in a really tough region where you have handicapped starting orders and uh, things like that. I mean, that's a that's yep. a tough proposition. So he was, he was still getting the job done. Bones, how do you view Ted's legacy, not just necessarily for New England, but really for short track racing as a whole? How do you see the realm remembering him and that impact being felt for years to come here? I think there's no doubt that he's one of the great short track drivers of his generation. I always hate uh, comparing eras just because there's so much to take into account, sure. different uh, levels of equipment. Uh, you know, there was there was a time when a driver only had to be a driver. Then there was an era where a driver had to be a driver slash mechanic as cars became slightly more technical. And then we entered an era in the 70s and 80s where you had to be with the right team that had the right equipment and a certain amount of backing um, uh, because a low dollar guy couldn't, you know, even the best driver couldn't cut it back then in a low dollar car. And that's, that's true still today. Uh, so it's, again, it's hard to compare them to, you know, a, a Richie Evans or an Eddie Flemke or a right. Bucky Stevens or guys <laughs> like that. But there's, there's no denying, uh, you know, what he's done in his own era. I mean, he's been pretty much the gold standard in weekly, you know, SK type modified racing in Connecticut. He's been one of the top guys on the tour for however many years he's been in it. Uh, and when you add the fact that he's jumped in and out of super modifieds and won and jumped in and out of various late model divisions and won at K&N East cars, I mean, you know, I, I haven't seen him getting anything ever and, and struggle. I don't remember him winning a midget race, but I've seen him run awfully good in one. Uh, and he may have won it. It just, it might be that I'm missing one somewhere, but, uh, you know, not, not living around there. Whenever I would be back there and saw him jump in a midget, I mean, he just went blindingly fast. So, you know, again, I, I think you'd have to consider him without question uh, on a nationwide uh, basis, one of the very best uh, of this particular era. And if you just uh, if you just want to compare statistics from generation to generation, you'd almost have to consider him one of the best of any generation. You know, again, I hate to get into that. Uh, you know, intergenerational comparison yeah. thing, but uh, the numbers don't lie. I mean, he he got it done for long enough that you'd had you'd have to put him at least in the same neighborhood as those other guys we mentioned. Oh, I think so too. And uh, Bones, I want to thank you for taking some time this evening to talk with us about your perspective and share some of the uh, thoughts that you have about Ted Christopher. We're all going to miss him, that's for sure, and uh, we look forward to having you back on the show again at some point soon under uh, happier circumstances. Well, I appreciate you guys doing the show, and I appreciate you uh, letting me be a part of it tonight. Bones Bosher, and when we come back, we talk with the winner 
from Riverhead Raceway this past weekend on the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour. Timmy Salamito, he will share his thoughts on Teddy, as well as uh, talking about the win and the points chase that is happening right now on the tour. So stick around. More of this special stock car show, The Life of Teddy Christopher, continues right after this on the Performance Motorsports Network. How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride, go fish, walk in the park, phone call, milkshake, play catch, picnic, fly a kite, tell jokes, laugh, talk, read a story, tell a story, bumper car, swing set, bowling, pillow fight, cut loose, stay tight. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Automotive technicians and auto service trainees, how would you like to work at the beach and perform for one of the best car care centers in the nation? Lewis Meineke is now looking for skilled automotive technicians to join their award-winning team. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today. 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center, located in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, offers a highly competitive compensation plan, great benefits, a flexible schedule, and did we mention that you're going to be working at the beach? Plus, there's a signing bonus for the right candidates. Technicians must be ASE certified and have a minimum of six years experience. Beginners advance at your own pace in one of several entry-level positions. But whatever you do, don't wait. These jobs will go fast. Call Tim at 302-827-2054. That's 302-827-2054. Lewis Meineke Car Care Center. Rev up your career. You hear that? That's the sound of America's only sports car. That's right. It's a Corvette. But not just any Corvette. It's your Corvette. It's that who cares if there's traffic part of your day. And this can be you when you come to Cooper Corvettes. With 60 years of Corvettes to choose from, there's always a Corvette in your budget. And they'll service any Corvette you bring in. Cooper Corvettes on Route 1 just north of Quantico and Triangle. Call, click, or visit coopercorvettes.com. How to deal with someone who says that's so gay. Outsmart them. This party is, like, so gay. Totally. Excuse me, but did you ladies know the word gay used to mean happy or excited? Then it became a word used to describe gay people. Then somehow it came to mean dumb or stupid, which is how you just used it, which is not very nice. Ew, that guy is on the football team and super smart, and he totally hates us now. Totally. When you say that's so gay, do you realize what you say? Knock it off. Learn more at thinkbeforeyouspeak.com. Hi, I'm Matt Tift, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Welcome back to the Stock Car Show here on the Performance Motorsports Network, the show presented by HMS Motorsport, the leaders in motorsport safety. You can find them on the web at hmsmotorsport.com, and tonight we celebrate the life and career of Teddy Christopher. And we continue our celebration and remembrance as we bring on to the program last weekend's winner at the Riverhead Raceway, Timmy Salamito. And Timmy, first of all, uh, welcome back to the program. It's good to have you on again. Thanks for taking some time tonight. And we'll get to Teddy in a moment. We'll take a break from that just for a moment and talk about the win because honestly I would think they're probably inextricably connected this had to be a very special uh, win for you and I know for more than one reason because obviously it uh, 
keeps you in the thick of the uh, championship battle as well. So it had to be a lot of emotion there. Yeah, certainly. You know, uh, it was such a sad night uh, once we got the news of Ted's passing. So, um, you know, kind of made it hard strapping in the car. You know, you're thinking about their, you know, Ted's family, uh, you know, Ted's wife and, and everybody involved with Ted. So, um, you know, it was a tough night, but uh, I was very happy to come away with the, the victory and, uh, you know, hopefully put on a good good show for the fans and um, got us back in the thick of things here for the championship. So, you know, uh, definitely a tough night, um, you know, hard to pull all the emotions together, um, but it was definitely bittersweet. Timmy? In the way this race played out, especially uh, at a track where you've had so much success, basically your home track at Riverhead, but you weren't necessarily the guy controlling most of the race. In fact, it was a late charge, uh, almost like what Ted used to do to all of you guys back when he was in his prime. Uh, It had to feel good for you in a race that maybe you didn't start off as the fastest car, but to come through and find that success late like you did, uh, I'm sure was one of those moments where you just kind of smile and go, yeah, we really earned this one. Yeah, you know, certainly we uh, we lost the lead there in lap traffic, and uh, you know, I knew the guys had given me a really good car, so you know, I didn't want to give a, a win away. And you know, I see my opportunity. Uh, Doug came up on some lap traffic, kind of hesitated for a moment, and uh, you know, I kind of got it in there. And you know, the the window of opportunity wasn't very big, but um, you know, we made it work. And um, you know, it was some good short track bumping, but uh, you know, we were able to come come away with the win. But it was probably one of the hardest fought wins that we've had all year. Uh, you know, we started out pretty good and, you know, had Doug breathing down our neck and, you know, he got around us on lap traffic there and, you know, I knew I had a good car. I just had to calm myself down and uh, not overdrive it and just uh, get back to get back to uh, Doug's bumper and hope that he slipped up and when he did, you know, make make the move for it. Well, it sounds like it was quite a race and in the context of your last, say, month or two where you've had some bad luck that kind of flip-flop the points race just a little bit and put you as the hunter rather than the hunted, uh, which you had been up to that point for much of the season. Uh, This had to be a race going in that you felt like could be just that for you, a sort of a turnaround race and something that could really uh, get you back in. But Doug didn't let you get too far away, did he? You know, I was out front and they, you know, Kyle Soper was behind me, and they said, you know, 15 cars, about three or four back, and, you know, I was just happy not to hear it was the two car, and then when I did hear the two car, I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, you're your home track, you yeah. know, you're, you're hoping, uh, you know, you know you got home field advantage, and you're just kind of hoping it's a track that Doug's kind of struggled at, and you're hoping that, you know, they missed it that night, and, uh, you know, he didn't let us get away too far, um, you know, but, it, you know, tighten up the points a little bit, and uh, I was able to, uh, to lead the most laps and, and secure the bonus points from NASCAR for leading the most laps, leading, you know, winning. So we got five bonus points. Still sure. tighten the points up. And, you know, we, we accomplished what we set out to do. And, uh, you know, and I think it was a little bit in Ted's fashion. We were parked in pit stall 13, you know, which uh, was pretty ironic. And, um, you know, a little bumping and grinding there for the lead. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a bittersweet night. It was, it was a good win, uh, you know, but still just, uh, tough still don't want to believe that you know ted's gone and we lost a, a big icon of our sport uh short track racing for sure yeah there's no doubt and i'm sure that that had to be just such a, an emotional time that night uh thinking about teddy 
what comes to your mind? I mean, have you got a favorite story, a favorite race, a favorite kind of moment? Uh, anything, you know, you can take this wherever you want to, Timmy, with, with this. Uh, well, you know, Ted, Ted was kind of a rough-around-the-edges guy. Yeah. Um, you know, so I've kind of been <laughs> saving the story all week. I haven't really told uh, it anywhere else, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell it now. So I'll keep it PG, though. So uh, back in 2011, I got a phone call from Eddie Willem to, um, you know, be the team, teammate to Ted Christopher and, um, you know, the first thing that runs through your mind is you're, you're pumped up. You know, I was a local sure. track guy uh, racing Riverhead every week, and, you know, I was excited to be Ted Christopher's teammate. I don't think he was as, as excited as I was. <laughs> um, but we, we got to Thompson, and we were, we were pretty quick in practice, and uh, everything was going well. So Eddie went on the corner and says, hey, before time trials, why don't you go over there to Ted and, uh, you know, get some pointers from him. Just see what he does different in time trials and see if you can pick up on something. So I said, okay, no problem. So I walk over to Ted. I hadn't talked to him much that day. I walk over and I go, hey, Ted, uh, Eddie wanted me to come over and ask for some pointers for qualifying. I said, you got anything good for me? He goes, uh, he looks me straight in the face and he, he goes, you really want me to be honest? I said, yeah. I go, I go, you know, I need anything that can help. He goes, are you going to watch my time trial lap? And Ted had gone out earlier um, than, than me. I was going out way, way towards the back. So right. I said, yeah, you know, I'll watch your time trial lap. So he goes, well, I'll tell you this, kid. He goes, your butt is going to pucker before mine when i drive this thing into turn one i'm gonna go in there so hard so <laughs> i just looked at him and i didn't really know what to say and uh eddie whalen was on the ground laughing hysterically and uh i kind of just shook his hand and said thanks ted and walked away and uh you know from that day on i just uh admired the guy's driving style and how hard he always drove and um you know it was never the end of the race for ted he uh he would drive that car until the wheels fell off of it or he was in victory lane so um, you know, it was cool to say that I, I was Ted's teammate at one time and uh, for one race. And, um, you know, to be able to, to share a few moments with him is probably pretty awesome. Was there ever a particular battle that you two had on the racetrack, Timmy, that sticks out in your mind? One where you guys uh, either raced really hard or perhaps, as Teddy did, got into it uh, that kind of sticks in your mind as a race you'll remember? <laughs> oh, certainly. Um it was actually my first year on the Whalen Modified Tour. I was driving for Carl and Wayne Anderson, and the year before that, Ted had, had driven for Wayne, but locally at Riverhead. Um, you know, and, and Ted had come back and forth every weekend to, to race for for uh, Wayne. So uh, we get to Stafford, and we had finished fourth at the first race of the year, and we were fourth in points. Everybody was excited. It was our first year. Uh, we get to Stafford, and there's about five to ten laps to go, and, and I'm running fifth, and uh, I hear he was driving for, uh, I believe, himself then, and they, they go uh, – 13's three back, 13's two back, 13's on your bumper. He's going to give you a shot going into turn one. So, you know, Ted drives in, gives me a shot. So there's about three to go, and Ted's all over me, and my car's tight. And, uh, you know, he does the old Stafford dive bomb. He drives down into turn one, kicks the dirt up on the racetrack, and kind of slams off the side of us. And I ended up losing a couple positions. I think I ended up seventh, or he ended up fifth. So um, Wayne had bought all his rims from Teddy. Uh, Teddy was an aero dealer, and uh, Wayne hadn't paid the, for the rims yet. So uh, we leave Stafford, and, you know, we weren't upset, but, you know, it was disheartening. You know, we thought we were going to have another podium finish or top five. And um, so Ted calls <laughs> Wayne on Wednesday and goes, hey, you, you never squared up with me for those rims. He goes, well, I bought eight. Ted, you ruined two, so I'm only buying six. So uh, <laughs> Ted was actually a good sport about it. We only uh, Wayne actually only had to pay for six rims because the two left side ones got all dented up from Ted. 
but uh, that was probably one of my most heated battles with Ted, and, uh, you know, it was definitely one that I'll remember. Going forward here on the tour, obviously there's going to be a bit of a hole here for a while, Timmy, because as we were talking about earlier in the show, Ted was just this icon to everybody in New England and, and short track racing, but... You know, what do you say to the fans as far as, you know, keeping going? Because Teddy said, and they said it Saturday night at Riverhead, we're running this race because Ted would have wanted us to race. I mean, you know, what what can we say to the fans who are looking for direction that, you know, it's going to be okay to help them see that it's going to be okay here going forward? Ted put fans in the seat uh, no matter what racetrack he went to, no matter what division he drove. You know, people came there to see Ted Christopher and, um, you know, obviously there'll be a huge dent in, in auto racing for, uh, you know, forever. I mean, that was the icon of our sport. Um, when you thought about modifieds, you know, modifieds went with Ted Christopher. Um, you know, when you thought about uh, racing hard and, um, you know, the three-tap rule and, and bumping and beating and banging, you thought about Ted Christopher, you know. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can say and speak for myself is, uh, you know, I'm going to run as hard as I possibly can. Um, yeah. You know, I watched Ted many years. Um you know, making moves work that you'd never think in a million years he could do, you know. So, um, you know, for Ted, I'm, I'm going to drive the wheels off everything that I get in, uh, you know, give 200% at all times and, uh, you know, never give up until the checker flag flies. And hopefully I can put on some entertaining races like Ted did, um, you know, for years moving forward. And, um, you know, he will never, uh, never be replaced and be never forgotten. But, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we can still go on and put on good, good shows for the fans and, um, you know, still fill those seats like Ted did. Who helps you make it happen, Timmy? Uh, we have a lot of great guys, you know, people that have been with Flamingo Motorsports and, and the entire 16 gang for many, many years. And, you know, first and foremost, my crew chief, Sly Zabin, my caller, Eric, Eric Sanderson, uh, Jerry Murkowski, all them guys, they work really hard in the shop getting these cars prepared week in and week out. Um, we, we stepped it up this year with a great sponsorship from Starrett Tools, Mighty Bike Products, um, you know, leading tool manufacturer um, and a uh, great, great company that makes clamps. Uh, so be sure to check them out. Um, you know, we've got uh, R&B Enterprise. They've been on the car for, for years since uh, Flamingo Motorsports started with the 16. Uh, Sarek Fabrication, uh, Flamingo Motorsports, if you need any ATVs, off-road utility vehicles, make sure to stop down and see them at Polymer Mass. They'll, they'll hook you up. And, uh, you know, there's just a ton of people. Diversified Metals, Bob Bruno, Troy Race Cars, uh, Heinz Performance for uh, the stopping power this year. Uh, PFC, uh, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. JRI Shocks, Sunoco Race Fuels. Um, I mean, there's just plenty of people that uh, chip in each and every week to make us go racing. And, um, you know, hopefully we make them proud and um, we're happy to have them on board. And hopefully we'll have them on board for years moving forward. Well, Timmy, uh, you certainly have an opportunity here to win the championship and we wish you all the best in it. Uh, good luck this weekend at uh, New Hampshire and uh, the remaining races of the season. And we thank you for coming on tonight to a very special show and uh, helping us to celebrate the life and career of Teddy Christopher. Thank you for having me on guys. I really appreciate it. That's Timmy Salamito. We will step aside when we return and we continue to celebrate the life and career of Teddy Christopher. We will have Doug Kobe. Joining us right around the turn, you are listening to the Stock Car Show, presented by HMS Motorsport, the leaders in motorsport safety. Visit them on the web at hmsmotorsport.com. Stick around. We'll be right back here on the Performance Motorsports Network. 
Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less, BSR instructors at Summit Point Motorsports Park in nearby Summit Point, West Virginia, will teach your son or daughter how to respond instantly and positively to unexpected situations on the road. BSR's specialized accident avoidance training teaches swerve to avoid maneuvers at highway speed, ocular driving, which focuses driving attention on ways to avoid accidents, vehicle dynamics and feedback, skid control, and skid recovery, threshold braking on straights and progressive braking on curves, and off-road recovery techniques. This is stuff driver's ed simply doesn't teach. So call BSR today, 304-725-8444. Give your kid the skill set needed to drive safely and responsibly on the highway. That's 304-725-8444. You hear that? That's the sound of America's only sports car. That's right. It's a Corvette. But not just any Corvette. It's your Corvette. It's that who cares if there's traffic part of your day. And this can be you when you come to Cooper Corvettes. With 60 years of Corvettes to choose from, there's always a Corvette in your budget. And they'll service any Corvette you bring in. Cooper Corvettes on Route 1 just north of Quantico and Triangle. Call, click, or visit coopercorvettes.com. HMS Motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World truck teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America, featuring world-renowned brands like Stilo Helmets, Schroep Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, Orca Driver Gear, Lifeline Fire Systems, and even Racecom Radio Kits. HMS representatives are experts in their field and focused on only one thing, making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs. Don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop into HMS Motorsport. Visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on Facebook and tell them the folks from PMN Radio sent you. Hi, this is John Androsik of Five for Fighting, here for RAD. The entertainment industry's voice for road safety. You know, style is a personal thing, and your lifestyle is your business. But if you take it on the road, it becomes everybody's business. So please, plan ahead, designate before you celebrate. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Spencer Davis, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Stock Car Show here on the Performance Motorsports Network, presented by HMS Motorsport, the leaders in motorsport safety. Tom Baker and Jacob Seelman with you from the Race City USA PMN Studios in Mooresville, North Carolina, and we talk tonight the career of ted christopher we celebrate his life and his accomplishments and we continue to hear from competitors and media alike and justin bonsignor joins us now justin thank you for coming back on the show we surely appreciate whenever you can drop by and uh talk a little bit with us uh, you've had a pretty good season yourself i know that uh, last weekend though had to be very very difficult 
Yeah, and thanks for having me back on. And um, yeah, last weekend was a we had a good run under some difficult circumstances for our series. Um, you know, we uh, were unfortunately lost Teddy Christopher, and um, it was just uh, a big shock wave through the through the pit area that day, and kind of being there as it all unfolded and and not knowing at first and the uncertainties and we were actually pitted next to him. So we kind of had a firsthand view of everything taking place and a lot of concern and worries as it uh, kept growing and the rumors started spreading. And then uh, they got the confirmation and it's just, uh, it was devastating uh, and very unfortunate and just a tough thing to be a part of uh, in, in this, in our sport. Justin, uh, I asked Timmy this uh, when we had him on a few minutes ago. I know all of you, in one way or another, cross paths with Teddy on and off the racetrack over the course of your careers. Uh, how did Ted, whether it was on track or off track, help to shape your career a little bit, uh, just from on-track battles or advice uh, was there anything in particular that stuck out to you that maybe uh, was something that ted guided you with along the way well that's a pretty good question uh for the moment um it's hard to think of something but uh teddy um i know off the track was a, a big influence especially the last couple of years um i was fortunate enough to rent his tq from him a few years ago and got to spend a couple weekends with him and his team and see how they operate and then we went to the races and just got to see, you know, Ted and not TC and, and see that side of him and hang out with all his friends and his, his crew members and his, his family. Um, and just, you know, Ted away from the track was uh, a totally different person. Um, he was uh, really compassionate and he would genuinely be interested in whatever you were talking about, whether it was about racing or work or personal stuff. Uh, he always took an interest in, in everybody's life. It seems uh, as more stories come out being shared about him and, um, he, uh, he, he was always just genuinely excited and, and happy when I had success. I, I remember this year in Atlantic city before we went out to qualify, um, we were kind of talking trash back and forth all day cause we were both pretty fast and, uh, we went out to qualify and he was on the pole at the time and I saw him and I kind of just pointed at him and said, I'm coming for you. And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And sure enough, we went out and got the pole and he came over and put his arm around me and was like, man, you must have had a really good car if you beat me. And just that type of joking back and forth. And uh, he just, he really taught me to, uh, you know, separate the two. You know, we, we both had a rough weekend and we, we left Atlantic city and I headed home and he went to the hotel and he sent me a picture of ice cream. And that was Ted's big thing was eating ice cream. <laughs> uh, always a big joke. And he goes, even a big, uh, even after a rough weekend, you always got to have ice cream. So just always, you know, from then on, it showed me how to, how to separate, you know, racing from life and, not let things get caught up in it. And uh, on the track, I never really had too many battles with him. Um, he was just, you know, you knew when he was coming that if he was better than you at the time, let him go. And you didn't want to be a part of his three tap role. And, uh, <laughs> but I never really had too many issues with him. I actually, I think I was probably on the winning end of a few with him. Uh, uh, he probably wouldn't like to, to know that stat, but um, I didn't get into it as much as uh, with him as a lot of other guys did on off the track and didn't really have to learn the hard way about any of uh of Teddy for the most part. Um, you know, he, he kind of wasn't on the tour for the last few years and I don't race outside of the tour too often in the events he does. So, um, unfortunate, but, uh, you know, I wish I could have had more races against him for sure. Cause when you beat him, you were beating the, you know, obviously you beat the best on that day. That whole three tap rule seems to be a common theme that's coming out all through tonight's show, Justin. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Um, 
I've been on the end of it a few times. Uh, he used to do it to me uh, the last couple of years indoors, practicing just to just to show you that he was faster than he'd catch you in you know those tight little tracks. He, sure. he would just pound on your bumper until you'd let him go, and he'd get out and just laugh at you to <laughs> look at me. I'm faster than you. But uh, fortunately, I was never on the end of uh, the three tap rule out you know, on the tour or anything like that. And um, we were able to hold our own against him for the most part. But uh, you just gotta pick and choose your battles when it was coming to Ted. If it was early in a race and he was fast, then you let him go. But um, more often than not, if the shoe was on the other foot, he would race you as hard as he could every lap. It was never easy to pass Teddy, even if it was lap five and you had a car that was three tenths better than him. It was just, uh, just how he was. For me, Justin, I think that's what makes it so interesting when you look at how he raced and all the stories because amid all the trash talking and all the sarcasm and all the humor that Teddy would inject into everything that he did, he really, I feel like, pushed everybody. You know, Teddy was one of those guys that would race you so hard, but he knew that that would make everybody he was racing better. And I that that just really stuck out to me in all the stories everybody was, was sharing this week because I don't think there was anybody that said they didn't learn something or weren't better for having uh, for having been a part of uh, of Teddy from a racing standpoint. Oh, without a doubt. You know, that's how our garage works and you know, when people elevate their game, it forces everybody else to work harder and, and elevate theirs. And, you know, from a driver's standpoint, Teddy's game was always at the top, uh, you know, especially when I came onto the tour. Yeah. He was, um, you know, still winning races every week in the 36 car, the Eddie Whelan car back then. And, uh, you know, you just you strive to be better to get to his level. Um, and then, you know, back when I first started, if, you know, like if you could beat Ted on any given week that, you know, you were in the top three or you were having a shot at winning the races. And um, like I said, anytime you could beat Ted, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, I don't think I ever had a one-on-one battle for the win with Ted, but uh, you know, I had some, some hard racing with him for, you know, top positions and stuff like that. And um, you know, I'm just one of a, one of a, a ton of people that uh, I've raced, been fortunate enough to race against him and, and forced to become a better driver. If I wanted to ever, you know, compete and beat, beat guys like him. Yeah, he was he was just so old school, you know, that I think when I think about Teddy, you know, I watched him race quite a bit. And I just in the way that he approached his racing and the way that he approached you guys as his competitors is a very old school kind of approach. I mean, you know, certainly not soft. You know, he wasn't afraid to come up and, you know, as Rowan Pennick found out just uh, here a week or two ago, wasn't afraid still to come out, uh, you know, come up and, and give you the what for if he thought that uh, you did him wrong. And, you know, just such a throwback. And, and really, you know, we, we've talked about Richie Evans tonight a little bit and, and Jimmy Champagne from Oswego as being examples of drivers who were just so impactful and really were were inspirations for the next generation of competitors who grew up watching them then became drivers themselves and it just feels to me like much like with Richie Evans this feels like a bit of the end of an era uh at this point oh without a doubt i mean uh you know Richie Evans everybody talks about that generation and that time period in our sport. And unfortunately I wasn't, you know, around to see that, but, uh, you know, I can probably feel comparison of, you know, the old school race fans that talk about Richie and those guys in that era is the way people are talking about Ted in this era right now. And, um, you know, I can imagine what type of person Richie was if people are comparing Ted to that now, 
because Ted was a great guy and oh, yeah. hard-nosed racer that could win in anything he's ever sat in, and I'm pretty sure he did win in everything he ever sat in. So uh, the comparison, I hate to compare errors, but as um, it seems as as people off the track and the impact they've left on our sport, it seems like the comparison is pretty close to the two. Um, you know, fortunately for me, I was around for Ted's era, uh, was able to race, you know, enjoy it as a race fan back when I was a kid growing sure. up, going into the stands and watching, and then be able to enjoy it as a, as a competitor and, and uh, you know, a fan from races that I'm not in that he is. So um, it's, uh, it's just going to be a huge loss for our sport. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as we must, we must go on, but, uh, you know, it's definitely, it still hurts, you know, I'm sure there's a lot, well, a lot more people in our sport right now that were a lot closer and, and it hurts a lot more, but, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I really, I miss Ted right now and it's, uh, it's not going to get any easier. Two more quick questions for you and then we'll let you get out of here. Um, first of all, talk a little bit about Loudon and the rest of the season for you, because obviously this has been a good season for you just quietly staying in the championship race and then talk about who makes it happen for you. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had a good season. Um, it's on, it's hard to compare seasons, but you know, when you go through the end of last year, like we did and we won four out of the last eight and almost won the championship, um, you know, to come out this year and, and still be winless and kind of struggle a little bit to find speed. Um, it's tough, but, uh, you know, I feel like when we do get back to the top of the, the heat, it'll make it that much more, you know, rewarding and satisfying to, uh, to get back to where we were. Um, we've completed almost all but one lap, I think, this year. Uh, that's the reason we're still in this. A lot of other guys have been uh, either win or wreck. So we're still in it because of that. If we can just find a little bit of speed here yep. in the last three, maybe get some good luck on our part and maybe some bad luck on others. Um, we're getting a little bit with Ryan missing this race. So um, I think we could still uh, still pull this off. I think um, – you know, we're kind of just hanging around, and if, if some people make mistakes or have issues, we'll be there to pounce on them. You know, we've lost two out of the last three championships um, by having issues. So who knows? Maybe this year we could just kind of uh, sleep our way into one. Um, I've already said I don't care if I win a race this year. If we could somehow still win the championship, I'll trade that. So we just got to do a little bit better job on our part. We're lacking a little bit of speed. I think uh, we've kind of stayed the same, and others have, have gained and then surpassed us. So um, we've we also went through a lot this year with a crew chief change and whatnot. So um, it's been uh, it's been tough, but uh, nobody's given up. Everybody's working hard. Um, you know, we're the defending winners here from last year, so we're hoping we can have a good run this weekend. Um, you know, I'd love to get back to victory lane at Loudon. It's a, it's a huge deal. I'd love to uh, to get up on that door and celebrate and, and honor Ted. And uh, you know, we just uh, we're working really hard, like I said, and hopefully we can get back to there before the season ends. Well, we appreciate you coming on for a few minutes tonight, Justin, sharing some memories, some stories with us. We wish you the best of luck going into Loudon this weekend and certainly best of luck down the stretch as you guys uh, continue to chase that championship. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be on. I, uh, it's humbling to be uh, invited on to talk about talk about Teddy and, and uh, some of the memories I had with him. And just want to say we're thinking about his wife, Quinn, his brother, Mike, uh, and all the families, crew members, old crew members, past, present, uh, his fans, everybody. So uh, we're thinking about them. We're going to race in their honor this weekend and hopefully get a win for the uh, Phoenix Communications number 51. So uh, it's a pleasure to be on, and I, I really appreciate having me. That's Justin Bonsignor, and I think he says what we're all thinking. We're thinking about the Christopher family and friends and the modified community at large. We're going to step aside, and when we come back around the turn for one more segment, we'll talk with one more 
of Teddy Christopher's peers and arguably uh, one with a couple of funny stories to share as we've seen on social media this week. Doug Kobe joins us in our final segment coming up next. You're listening to the Stock Car Show here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Every 30 minutes, another innocent person is killed due to a drunk driver. My best friend. My brother. My poor grandchild. My sister. My father. My husband. My mom. <laughs> my mommy. Stop these tragedies before they happen. Don't drink and drive. Do you love the sound of high revving motors and the smell of burning rubber? Do you want to get your car sideways right at the ragged edge of control? If you've always wanted to try drifting or learn to improve your drifting skills, Summit Point Motorsports Park, the Mid-Atlantic's premier motorsports facility, has the expert instructors and the specialized track to teach you how to drift and the skills necessary to drift competitively. From skid pad to open sessions, Summit Point Motorsports Park has the safe and open environment that allows drifters of all skill levels, new to intermediate, to get sideways and smoking. With a focus on safety and the skill set necessary to drift competitively, Summit Point Motorsports Park's Drift Nirvana is just the thing for you. Call for your reservation today, 304-725-8444. Or for more information, go online, summitpoint-raceway.com or you can email them at office at bsrinc.com. Drift Nirvana, getting you sideways the right way. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dylan Bassett, and you're listening to Race Talk on Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. Welcome back to the Stock Car Show here on the Performance Motorsports Network as we continue to celebrate the life and career of Teddy Christopher here on tonight's program. We bring on to the show with us the uh, one of the top modified competitors, and I know one of the real, I think, disciples in a sense, one of the drivers that Bones Bosher talked about earlier as having grown up watching Teddy Christopher and then becoming a competitor of Teddy Christopher's. And I'm sure he'll have some interesting stories. Doug Kobe, a multi-time champion himself. And Doug, uh, there's no easy way really to get into this subject other than to just start talking about Teddy Christopher. And it took a little while, but um, I saw your Facebook post uh, just some really, really interesting stories that I've seen on social media about Teddy and yours was certainly right up there with any of them. Yeah, I mean, um, certainly this week has been really tough on everybody in the Northeast. Uh, I haven't listened to the earlier part of your show to hear what anybody else had to say about Ted, but it took me quite a, quite a while to compose my thoughts after uh, after I learned of his accident and uh, you know, then we went out there and raced.
kind of had to decompress for a day or so before I could even even really understand. I still don't even understand how this has happened, and um, just uh, it's amazing when you're you're seeing you know the stories of drivers, the stories of crew members, of fans, of um, of people who he worked with in town. You know just. The, the interesting thing is that everybody has a different story and every one of us has our own story about Ted. And, um, you know, I might have made some references to some jokes that he made, but those were, those were my jokes, you know? And, uh, I think that's the more I think about this, this week, I mean, that's really the, the special things that are coming out about Ted is that as popular as a guy as he was, I mean, everybody wanted a piece of him in the pit area from, you know, every crew member had something to say to him. Every driver had something to say to him from the top divisions to the bottom divisions. When you'd walk through the pits at Stafford, you know, Ted would walk by and somebody was saying something to him at all times. Over time, you know, when you do that enough, you end up kind of forming a relationship. And that's really how my, my and Ted's relationship you know, was always just at the racetrack. I don't want to make it seem like we were, you know, friends off the track at all, but we had a very, uh, a very fun at times and a very rough at times relationship at the racetrack. And uh, I'm just really, uh, really sad that it's over and uh, really upset for his family. And, and of course, all of his loyal crew members. I mean, yeah. um, there are guys that have been with him for years and, and I'm just thinking about them this week a whole lot. Well, I'm sure you are, and it's it's just got to be a very tough week for everybody. And, of course, as we all know, the show must go on, and it will go on at Loudoun this weekend. And I know that you're obviously in the midst of a championship race that uh, you've suddenly found yourself really, uh, I don't want to say in control of, but certainly in a great position after kind of sneaking back up on it throughout the year uh, how do you separate the emotion of the week from the necessary sort of stoicism that you've got to have to be able to go out and do the job this weekend at Loudon? I don't even really know. You know, I think, you know, we're all going up here to, to do what we were planning to do and what we have to do. Um, and obviously we all want to win the race and we're all sure. you know we all want to win it for ted and the crazy thing is half of us probably didn't even get along with ted you know when we were racing against him yeah. and and now i mean i think that's all that's on our minds is that we want to be the one to to win at loudon you know ted was the master at loudon he's got 10 career victories at the track uh in, in both the k and n series and the modified series and uh you know always was a front runner up there no matter what car he was in and uh you know, I had just started to figure out how to beat Ted at Loudon here the last <laughs> couple of years because I really learned how he raced the track, and it's really the complete opposite of how I raced the track. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is going to be a really tough weekend. Um, there's going to be a lot of tributes paid to Ted on, you know, you'll see things on the race cars. You'll see things, you know, that people say and the crew members are going to do. And I, I think ultimately uh, – if there ever was a time to prove that no matter what happens, we're all kind of a big short track family. I mean, this week is proving it and Absolutely. he just happens to be the, the centerpiece uh, that's causing that. And um, I'm just hoping that out of all this tragedy, maybe, you know, maybe one or two friendships will be uh, reformed or changed that maybe wouldn't have otherwise happened. And, um, you know, it's not going to change anything. And we do have the show must go on and it's going to go on, you know, after all of us go, you know. As a Connecticut driver, Doug, I know uh, obviously you were 
geographically closer to Ted than some on the tour, but I know how much that tie would have meant to you had you been able to to hang on and win that race Saturday night at Riverhead. Uh, talk a little bit about the end of that race. I know uh, there were a lot of things that went into that, and uh, as Justin and Timmy both said earlier in the show, uh, it was just so many emotions all the way around. Riverhead has been a track that everybody says, you know, including myself to a certain degree, has been my nemesis for years. Um, and for some reason, people think I don't run good there. But the last three years or so, I mean, we run in the top three or four every single time we've gone. Uh, we've got a couple bad finishes in there because we've had some wrecks, you know, while running in the top three or four. But um, uh, all in all, I think it's a racetrack that owes me a win. And, and I thought that Saturday was going to be it. And you know, I wasn't doing anything different, you know, under the circumstances. I was just going out there and trying to survive Riverhead. And um, I thought that all day, you know, Phil and I made good changes on the car. We were uh, short a couple crew guys, including uh, one of my main guys, Alex, who, who consults with Phil on setups as we go through practice. And uh, we just got the car really good. And um, I've always said, you know, every time that I'm good at Riverhead, it seems like either Justin or Timmy – uh, is also excellent, and then their knowledge of the facility just takes over. And uh, Saturday was the night that I, I kind of snookered Timmy in lap traffic. He got caught up, and I, I picked the right lane and, you know, kind of jammed my way in there and got the lead. And then once I got the lead, I pulled away from him by about two car lengths and just uh, came up on these two lap cars running side by side with, with uh, five laps to go. Uh, as far as I know, one of those cars was, you know, four or five laps down and one was just about to go a lap down or was a lap down. And I don't know. I mean, I don't like to point fingers and blame people for why things happen. I mean, I certainly could have been more aggressive or, or just done something different and not let Timmy get under me when the lap cars were there. But, um, you know, I, I did ask Jimmy Wilson after the race, you know, to just remind the tour spotters, cause I really think it's a spotter decision to, uh, to really get on your driver's case and let them know what's unfolding while you're running side by side as a lap car, you know, um, the leaders are coming. There's five to go. I've been in the position before. You just, you got to do whatever it takes to get out of the way. And those guys to their credit did try to get out of the way, but it was just about a half a lap too late, you know? So we finished second and, uh, I've never been more disappointed, not only because of the, the circumstances surrounding Ted, but, um, also just because that was my chance, you know, that was a race that I had beaten. I had Justin and Timmy beat in my opinion. And then here comes Timmy and he beats me. So, uh, they did a great job. They had a great car. I don't think if lap traffic were there, I probably wouldn't have got him anyway. Um, but I did get him and then he got me back. So maybe that's how it was meant to be. Well, I know before we uh, let you go, I asked the other two guys this, and I want to ask you this too, Doug, uh, what have you, what did you learn in your interactions, in your times racing against Ted, was there any one thing in particular, or was it just a lot of little things that you took kind of and put into your arsenal and applied to your career to make yourself better? When you race against Ted long enough, you learn you learn a lot. <laughs> you learn um, you learn what to do and what not to do in certain situations. And um, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint one thing. You know, Ted Ted was not my mentor. You know, I didn't. Uh, I don't want to say I grew up idolizing Ted, but I knew uh, as soon as I started running modifieds that if I was going to be anything, that I had to be able to beat Ted. And um, I think, it, you know, there's there's a newspaper article from the 2002 racing season where I won an SK feature at Stafford, and I had to beat Ted and Bo Gunning to do it. And uh, 
that's one of very few newspaper articles that my father keeps hung up on the wall in the garage, which, you know, is back to the days from when we ran late models, pro stocks, and, and SKs together. Um, and then since then, I, you know, I moved on and started working with other people. But, you know, that was a big deal to go out there and as a young 22-year-old kid, you know, get one of my, I think it was maybe my second or third SK win and to do it to hold off Ted. I mean, that's that's what you wanted to do. It's like you're, you're trying to win a race and you don't want Ted behind you because you know you're likely not going to win if he's behind you, but right. he's the one that you want to beat, you know. And uh, that's what I take from it is just uh, that that sense of urgency when you're racing against Ted to try to try to do everything perfect. He, he, ha- he made you have to be a perfectionist or else he was going to beat you. And uh, that's kind of what I took from my uh, time racing with him. That seems to be, uh, again, another recurring theme throughout tonight is the idea that Teddy Christopher made everybody who raced with him better. And I don't you know. You had to be. You had to be. I don't know if every racer can say that. That's quite a legacy to leave behind for sure. Doug Kobe, thank you for taking some time to chat with us here tonight and share your thoughts about Teddy. And I know that you've got a lot of uh, work in front of you here this weekend at Loudon, and to finish the season trying to win yet another championship on the tour. We wish you the best in that quest and look forward to having you back on again very soon. Hey, guys, thank you very much, and uh, awesome job putting this tribute show together. It's a really special thing, so thank you guys so much for doing that. We are grateful to be able to do it. Thanks, Doug Kobe, and as we send Doug off, Jacob, we slowly (laughs) try to gather our thoughts to close this show, and I think for me, uh, the recurring theme here has to be that Teddy Christopher was a man... Whether you liked him or didn't like him, Teddy Christopher was a man that you respected and a man that you understood as a racer and as a man. And I think really the perhaps the greatest way to remember Teddy Christopher is exactly what Doug Kobe and some of the other drivers have said. He made you better. Racing with Teddy Christopher made you a better driver. And that, to me, says everything we need to know about Teddy Christopher. He was a winner. He was a champion. He certainly was an icon in this sport. And we will miss him terribly, but remember him fondly. Yes, we will. And as we get set to close this show, first, we thank our social media partners at Three Wide Life, Mike Garrity, Megan Kolb, and all the folks there, as well as Bob Steele and Sue Mason with the Performance Motorsports Network. But, Tom, you mentioned it. It's one thing to be a part of racing and be good, but it's another to leave an impact the likes of which that Teddy Christopher did. He, like Dale Earnhardt, like we talked about earlier, was kind of larger than life at the short track level much like Dale was at NASCAR they both had their aggressive streak and for anybody who beat them as Doug Kobe alluded to they were told you've done something big and that's a lot of legacy that Ted is going to leave behind I got one more chance to talk to him uh, about a month ago when we were at Bristol Motor Speedway for the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour race, uh, and that race was the last one I saw him compete in. I asked him after he went out about halfway through how he wanted his career to be remembered, and Teddy kind of smiled in that way that Teddy always did, and 
He was shortened to the point when he responded to me, but he looked at me real hard and he said, I race to win, and I always have. And if people remember that, then they knew who Ted Christopher was. Ted Christopher, gone last Saturday at the age of 59. His legacy will live on forever. For Tom Baker, I'm Jacob Seelman. Good night. You've been listening to The Stock Car Show on the Performance Motorsports Network. Stay tuned to Performance Motorsports Network for more race talk. For the latest motorsports news, visit racechaseronline.com. The Stock Car Show is a copyrighted production of the Performance Motorsports Network. www.performancemotorsportsnetwork.com. A member of the Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated. And may not be rebroadcast, replicated, or saved in any media without the explicit written permission of PMN. Check out our Facebook page or our section on the PMN website. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host, co-host, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of the management and ownership of either the Performance Motorsports Network or Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated, the advertisers, or the marketing partners. Be listening again next week when the Stock Car Show returns on Thursday night at 7 Eastern. Until then, stay tuned for more great motorsports programming on the Performance Motorsports Network.